The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. And it was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a second, but let me say a thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, we were on the air with professors of Southern Methodist University here in Dallas and students who are working on a most ambitious project to address food deserts with the Hunt Institute here in Dallas. Um, I love that SMU is teaching the students to be passionate about their work and to engage the community in what they need in order to provide a best crafted solution. Very inspiring conversation and with young people really engaged in their work already, which is just perfectly a good a good compliment for the show. With us this week is Ashling Curtin, who is a registered counseling psychologist and director of Act Now Ireland, the largest provider of acceptance and commitment training workshops in the country. Ashling specializes in mindfulness and acceptance and commitment training, which helps people to connect more to the present moment, those things that matter most to them and get unstuck in their lives. She is also the author of Mindfulness and Acceptance for Gender and Sexual Minorities. She joins us today from Dublin, Ireland via Skype. Ashling, it is so wonderful to have you on Working on Purpose. Welcome. It's fantastic to, to be here with you, Elise, and I spend a lot of my time in Texas, so it's wonderful to have a Dublin-Texas connection via it, Skype. It's wonderful. It really is, and I think we need to also, we need to acknowledge how we were connected. It was Courtney Baker, was it not? Yeah, absolutely. Courtney Baker and I connected via Twitter. So I'm just really amazed. I know social media gets a bit of a bashing and obviously there are some aspects of it that aren't great. But I think when it's used in a meaningful and connected way, um, these social media platforms can really help to build connections that it wouldn't be possible otherwise. I completely agree with that, Ashling, And I can tell you that I've had many guests on my show that I found on Twitter or LinkedIn and who come to me from all parts of the world. And I feel like social media has actually allowed me to connect to the world on a global level and scale mm. then in a way that I just couldn't without it. So yeah. I'm a fan of it. <laughs> um, well, let's get into this. There's so much I want to get out of you in the short time that we have together. And before we do, I always like to be able to help our guests have a bit of context mm. to who you are. So would you say a bit about your background and how you began your career? Why did you become a counseling psychologist? 
Um, so not that everybody comes to psychology from kind of a tragedy, but for me that was the case when when I was 14 year, years old. Um, I was in a car accident that my, my 11 year old brother was killed in on impact. It was a joyrider, so somebody who had stolen a car and was driving at 120 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone. And I suppose my life so up until that point had been fairly predictable. It wasn't perfect by any means, but it was fairly predictable. And I remember kind of how I got into a really anxious place after that kind of around knowing that I suppose life it doesn't just go on forever and sometimes it can end without any notice and I really thought okay how can I find purpose and meaning out of this and I know we were laughing because I recently kind of shifted ACNA around to ACNA purposeful living and obviously your work is all on purpose and I suppose for me at least I thought my purpose and meaning is helping people find purpose and meaning out of difficulties in their life, even the most difficulties. And sometimes it may be a tragic death like I experienced. And sometimes it could be somebody who's in a workplace and who feels like they're not really being heard or appreciated or, or bullied or and so forth. And I'm always like, how can we find purpose with whatever is going on in our life? Because we can't choose what happens to us in life yet. I, I try to help people to choose how they respond to it once they've got that awareness. Oh my gosh, Ashling, you have so moved me. I didn't know that was part of your mm-hmm. background. I had no idea that's where your career came from. And I'm so glad yeah. I asked that question because it's yeah. so important to understand how people decide how the world occurs mm-hmm. for them in terms of their response to a choice in career. Yeah. And I am I so applaud that you were able to take such incredible tragedy and create something so beautiful and meaningful to help other people across the globe with your gift. It's phenomenal. Thank you, Elise. And I think from the people I've worked with, they often say that they can tell that I use this on myself first. And I suppose I feel like if you use this on yourself first, if you really believe in an approach, it really helps you to be able to talk to people, not at this expert level, but at this person to person level. And in my experience, that has worked really, really well. Well, let's grab that really quick if if we can here. Maybe maybe what's good to maybe say a little bit about since you focus so much or you're grounded in acceptance and commitment therapy, mm. maybe first we should say what is that? And then I would love for you to talk a bit about how do you use it in your own life? Absolutely. So um, one of the things, are there's a few things I really, really like about acceptance equipment therapy. So it was developed over on your side of the pond, the very large <laughs> pond for the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean. And so it was developed by three psychologists based in the United States. And one of the things I really like about it is it takes a long time to train to be a psychologist in the United States. And, and also, so they had all of this training in psychology and they also had personal experiences of, of struggling with mental health difficulties themselves. So um, Steve Hayes, the the main founder has struggled with panic disorder he has a couple of great TED talks um, now around actually how to change pain and purpose I think your your listeners would really enjoy that um, Kirk Strassel had struggled with depression and Kelly Wilson had struggled with addictions and, and depression so all three of them had their psychology background and also had personally struggled and ACT comes from it's kind of like the serenity challenge so the serenity prayer outside of religious context so learning to accept the things we cannot change and having the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference and these three psychologists and the many different psychologists and coaches and therapists afterwards have basically kind of come together to kind of pool research and to really see how can we do that in a scientifically valid way and there's like over 200 randomized control trials now and several hundred other studies showing that ACT can be really effective and what I really love about ACT is that it's equally effective with people who are struggling with anxiety and depression and with people in the workplace who want to be more creative and more innovative 
leaders and for me somebody who really doesn't like to be put in a box myself or doesn't like the people I work to be put into boxes it's really nice to have that flexibility to be able to work with such a broad spectrum of people with such a broad range of kind of presenting um, interests or concerns in terms of our work together. Hmm. Well, as you know, my background is is human development, so that's psychology and sociology. I don't know anything about clinical psychology or abnormal psychology, anything like that. It's more of the positivist bent. Um, so how do you use ACT in your own life then? Constantly. So um, <laughs> one of the the... One of the things that I've really used it from is that in ACT, we try to kind of shift from most of us are really focused on trying to move away from pain and move away from unwanted thoughts and unwanted emotions. And a big shift in ACT is how can we actually shift that in terms of moving towards values, moving towards purpose? Because as both of us know, um, as, as, as strong kind of working women wanting to get message out there, you need to face unwanted emotions in order to do anything that's worthwhile. So whenever I do a radio interview there's always kind of these kind of thoughts around I hope I get this right or I hope I'll say something that people will actually be able to apply right away um so um one of the biggest things that I found is that when I wake up in the morning I just simply ask myself okay what do I want to move towards today in terms of my impact in terms of relating to other people in terms of relating to myself and what do I need to be aware of so we all have a way moves and one of the things that I know I struggle with and I and I wish I didn't I, I still struggle with really wanting other people to think nice things about me and I'm kind of um humbled to kind of see in the research that that's really hard built into our DNA is that you know if we weren't part of a group we didn't survive and time's gone by and it certainly does help to be part of a group even even now as we see kind of in the workplace and, and further afield um so one of the things I just kind of keep coming back to is what do I want to move toward and am I willing to have the anxiety um the possibility of failure and re- rejection that goes with this and I think when the reason is big enough we're willing to have those have those feelings and act gives us a lot of really really nice neat tools to actually use when unwanted thoughts and emotions arise um I can relate to them in a completely different way than what I did before. Oh, you said so many really yummy, delicious things in that, Ashley. Um, one thing that I want to call out, especially for our listeners, since they were really focused on the world of work here, and of course the world of work contains people and human beings, is that what you said about this thing about wanting people to, I think you said, like you or accept you or find value in you, and that it goes, it's rooted back to the notion of survival, that we just, we do better when we're actually part of a group. And one yeah. of the things that Right. And so one of the things that we find in the work we do at Insignium and we do like cultural surveys and such Mm -hmm. cultural assessments and things is that we find that people will do almost anything to stay connected to Mm -hmm. their group because that's that's where it's safe. Right. And that oftentimes includes not right, not bucking the system, not speaking out, whatever it takes to stay part of that group. And so what you're talking about is just so important for us to be able to bring out on the show, I think, because people don't recognize how much all of us do that. You talk about yourself doing that, but all of us have a tendency to do that because it's in our best interest to survive. Definitely. And I suppose the difficult thing is that sometimes when we're really caught up in wanting people to like us or at the very least not wanting to kind of get people's backs up, sometimes we can act in a way that's inauthentic for us. And that can actually have the exact opposite effect of Mm -hmm. what we want. So, for example, when I work with somebody in the workplace and they they really want to kind of please their, their direct line manager, they may say, oh, yes, I'll be able to do this. And yes, 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 yes. And they're going out of the meeting thinking there is no way that this is humanly possible. 
and then it ends up not working out whereas if they'd had that kind of uncomfortable um, discussion and starting actually one of your fellow Texans Brené Dr. Brené Brown I, I mm-hmm. love her work yes. um, she talks around choosing discomfort over resentment and I think that's a big lesson that I kind of keep coming back to for myself and for the people I work with and actually one of the things that I like to do with people that I'm working with uh, in the workplace is for them to take a risk log so to actually record risks that they're taking in the workplace now risks aren't like jumping out of an airplane or anything like that but it might be that they're in a meeting and they often have ideas yet they're afraid to bring up the idea in case their line manager or the other members in their team don't think that that it's a good idea so it's around uh, you know having the courage to take the risk of saying hey would you be willing to do something this in another way or also if somebody asks them to do something and they know look the timeline is too tight I might be having the courage just to say look can I even have an extra hour with that or an extra day with that and here's the reason why and what most people find is when they have that kind of more transparent authentic way of relating it often works better for everybody concerned rather than saying yes when we really know that we're not going to be able to fulfill that commitment mm-hmm. no question well and so speaking of that Ashling, I really wanted to help our listeners understand the, the kind of work that you do with organizations mm-hmm. and so when I, I it would be maybe the first place to start is um, talking about the kinds of issues or problems that you see people presenting in terms of their work experience um, and that would actually have that have an organization want to, or need to work with you. So what's the what's the root that you're dealing with and trying to address? So a lot of the time organizations contact me because there's a lot of change going on and change is just part of the organizational world at the moment and also change is something that we kind of want and we don't want at the same time. So a lot of what I'm doing is really trying to kind of, I suppose, kind of bring out into the open what are people's objections to change if there's changes going on in an organization what are their objections to change they're going to be there whether we're acknowledging them or not so in general if we can bring these these objections out into the light and to actually look at what are unwanted thoughts what are unwanted emotions what are what are we kind of projecting out there that we think is going to happen and can we have these discussions openly within an organization and also how can we bolster ourselves up so that if we have these unwanted thoughts these unwanted emotions can we learn a different way of, of relating to them and one of the most simple ways of changing how you relate to thought is simply saying I'm having the thought that so rather than okay this isn't going to work out this is going to be terrible for us I'm having the thought that this isn't going to work out for us I'm having the thought that um, this is going to be terrible or what have you and even just to kind of shift that from just being really blinkered by the thought to being able to recognize it can be a massive shift for people Um, and also people often feel anxious around change within organizations. So it's kind of looking at how are we relating to this anxiety? So people often relate to anxiety in one of two ways. One is that they just try and back away from it and pretend that it's not even happened, just kind of pushing it away. And sometimes that actually exaggerates the anxiety over time. Or the other times that people get completely overwhelmed by that they're not able to tell the wood from the from the trees so that's one of the big things that I come into organizations and help with is to look at if there's changes going on in an organization what might the psychology kind of around that be showing up for people how to work with that Uh, another way that I work with people is in terms of work-life balance so how can because a lot of the time at the moment when people are at work they think they should be at home when people are at home they think they should be at work and just just trying to kind of get that balance kind of correct Um, and another way that I work with people is in terms of diversity 
university. So um, as you mentioned, I wrote a book on gender and sexual minorities. Um, also, that might be in terms of ethnic minorities. Um, are some people feeling excluded within the workplace? Are people aware of some things that they might be saying within the workplace that might be marginalizing some of the, the workers there? And just to kind of create this more open dialogue, because when there is shame around an issue, people often stay, stay silent. And then that actually prevents um, people within the workplace to be able to deal with these things head on in a way that each of the workers in the play in the workplace feels valued and feels like they have a say. Such an important point, Ashley, and the idea of that when we feel shame, what that does for shutting down conversations. That is so, so important to be able to call out. Um, I hadn't thought about that. And of course you are being you being the expert that you that you are, you're this is the great thing about getting to host the show is that I learn something every single week. It's just awesome. <laughs> so mm-hmm. thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's already time for a break, if you can imagine, and it goes so fast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Ashling Curtin, who is a registered counseling psychologist and director of Act Now Ireland, which is the largest provider of acceptance and commitment training workshops in the country. She joins us today from Dublin, Ireland. We've been talking a bit about her actual field, how she got started. After the break, we'll talk more about the work that she does within organizations and how she knows she's making a difference. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We live in a new world where we need to get used to simply mastering changes. From careers changing within our lifetimes to the number of emails coming in the next hour, managing changes leads to success. Once we are aware of changes, we can work at managing them so that we reduce any downtime, maximize transition, and minimize costs. Join host Lesya Kushner for Change is the New Constant, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. 
Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ashling Curtin, who is a registered counseling psychologist and director of Act Now Ireland, which is the largest provider of acceptance and commitment training workshops in the country. Ashling specializes in mindfulness and acceptance and commitment training, which helps people to connect more with the present moment, those things that matter most to them and get unstuck in their lives. She's the author of Mindfulness and Acceptance for Gender and Sexual Minorities. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we learned a bit about how it was you you got into the field, which was an extraordinary story in and of itself, and a bit about the actual concepts and ideas that you work from. Here next, I would love for us, if we can, Ashlyn, to say a little bit about how it is that you actually work with your clients, specifically professional organizations. So I'd like to understand how do you use ACT to help employees, managers, and executives to perform and develop and maybe even thrive in the workplace? Um, so there's kind of two ways how so one is just the the logistical side of things as I often go into organizations and I'll do um, workshops there however now as we were talking earlier on the the internet just makes things possible in so many different ways so actually I have a good deal of clients over in the states and throughout Europe who connect with me via zoom or via Skype and um, because sometimes they I, they like the uh, they've they've heard me on a radio interview or they've seen me at a conference and they kind of think I'd really like to work with her and they're like this probably isn't possible but the great thing is it is possible and then I suppose at once we're connected either in person or online then what I do is I kind of bring people systematically through a number of different exercises so that they can learn these skills um, to kind of develop more psychological flexibility which I know we're going to be talking about a little bit more later on but just to kind of give a bit of a teaser now the idea is that just like we can learn to be more physically flexible through learning yoga and through going to the gym there are actually six key skills that we can learn to be more psychologically flexible and what that means is that when change happens that we're not expecting or that we might not have wanted that we're still able to respond in a way that's in line with our values personally and in line with the organizational values so that we're not knocked off course by changes or by things that we didn't see coming mm-hmm well, let's grab that really quick. Um, let's talk first about the idea of, of psychological flexibility. Um, first, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so what I mean is that, so sometimes it's not easier to say psychological inflexibility than psychological flexibility. So let's say we take, for example, that um, there's, there's a change in leadership in an organization and there's a change in direction. Um, do you want to give me an example, actually, Elise? Maybe if you give me an example of something that your listeners would encounter quite often, and then I can give you an example of what psychological inflexibility and psychological flexibility would be in that case. Well, so when I think about the workplace, right, so I, I would think about maybe, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the notion of just change. And so just mm. imagine I, what I could envision maybe we could work from is just there's just always a constant number of organizational well, reorgs, um, mm-hmm. You know, where people are now re- realigned under a different leader, under a different department, um, maybe a response to something like that. Okay, great. So if we look at psychological um, inflexibility first, we need to look at that at the level of kind of the workers. And we also need to look at that in the, at the level of the organization. So when a worker is being psychologically inflexible, it, it's when they're being preoccupied with the past or the future. So either going back to the way that the organization was in the past and either kind of saying, oh, it was terrible, this, that, or the other thing that happened in the past. Or the other side of that is like, oh, I wish things were back to the way that they were in the past with the organization. So, or the other place where people tend to go is to the future. So what will happen 
happen next? And what does this mean? Will there be layoffs? You know, will they be asking me to do something else? You know, um, does this mean I won't get promoted? I was in line for promotion under the old way. And is this going to affect it? So the first inflexible piece at the level of the individual is its preoccupation with the past or future in relation to the individual. At an organizational level, that's when kind of management are getting really preoccupied with things that have either happened in the past or things that have not yet happened in the future so that there's really a loss of contact with what's going on right here and right now. Does that make mm. sense as the first it kind of It does. It sure does. Um, yeah. And then the, the next level is actually more so to do with the, at the level of thoughts. So at the individual level, at the worker level, it's being really blinkered by unwanted thoughts. Um, and what I find really interesting at an act level, it's, it doesn't matter whether thoughts are considered good or bad, right or wrong, um, true or false. When we get really blinkered by thoughts, we generally, our behavior tends to narrow and it tends to get smaller. And that's when we become less creative and less innovative and less happy in the workplace. So for example, a true thought might be, I've gotten um, I've gotten a pay cut. Okay, so this may be a true thought. Yet when a worker gets really hooked or blinkered by I've gotten a pay cut, they may actually then start to feel really anxious. They might start to become depressed. They might start to kind of say, "Well, if I've done a pay cut of twenty percent, well then I'm going to do twenty percent less of the work." For example, does this kind of fit with things that you've seen, Elise, in the workplace yourself? Yes, absolutely. And then, at, so and then at the organisational level, um, the, if we take that exact same kind of piece around the pay cut, at the organisational level, they may get really hooked by the thought: look, we give people a pay cut of twenty percent because we don't want to lose any of our workers. They should just be happy that nobody's being laid off. Okay, so this may be a true thought, but when the organisation at the management level gets really hooked by this thought, they may respond to their workers in a way that the workers don't feel valued. And the very difficult thing here is that sometimes when an when an employee or a worker um, responds in an inflexible way. Sometimes the, at the organizational level, they respond in an inflexible way as well. And it becomes this really horrible loop that it becomes self-reinforcing in all the ways that we wish that it didn't. Mm. I so that's, so s- sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I so see that. We would probably call something like that like a vicious circle. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that's the level of the thoughts. And the next thing is the level of the emotions. And I love this, Elise. We're both like talking at the same time because I think we're both <laughs> equally excited about this stuff, which I just love. And if I ever talk too quickly, I'm a total nerd. This stuff really excites me. So if I start <laughs> talking too quickly, just bring me back in. So um, the next level is at the level of emotions. And at the individual level where this inflexibility shows up is that the workers get either totally caught up in their emotions, so this is kind of like overwhelmed by emotions, get totally caught up in a sea of emotions, or the other kind of side of that that's equally unhelpful is when the workers and the employees get really caught up in trying to avoid emotions, so they're trying not to allow themselves to be anxious. So they're kind of getting caught up and like, don't feel anxious, don't feel anxious, don't feel anxious. And I should have said this can happen as well with thoughts. So it's like, don't think about this, don't think about this. And actually what we know from the psychology research, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is the more we try not to think of a thought or the more we try not to feel an emotion, actually the more we end up thinking that thought and feeling mm-hmm. that emotion. So it's kind yes. of, again, that vicious cycle that we were just talking about. So at the level of the worker, this might be like really trying very hard not to feel anxiety about this uncertain future or getting so caught 
caught up in this anxiety that they're not effectively engaging with their workplace and probably not effectively engaging with those they love at home when they leave work because it's probably carrying with them. And then at an organizational level, this is when at an organizational level, people either get so caught up in the emotions that everything is reactive and responsive it's reactive to the emotions rather than to what is best for the organization or where there's kind of a place within the workplace that there's no space for emotions here. This is only a logical space and people aren't allowed to feel emotions. Um, and, and it's really hard because, you know, um, as, as you say, a lot of people in organizations that are trained human development haven't got this training in kind of other areas of psychology. So often emotions can feel like a very, very scary place to go. Yet sometimes when workers don't feel like their emotions are welcome, they actually end up feeling them more rather than less. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And I completely concur and have seen that over and over again. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's the first three kind of elements of the inflexibility piece, but at the level of the worker and the organization. And then, then, so I'll just share the next three with you. So the next part of the inflexible piece is inflexible perspective taking. So at the level of the worker, that's like when they're just seeing things exactly as they see them right now. Um, so let's say if we take example, the pay cut is like literally just seeing it from that perspective failing to see the perspective that, you know, if there wasn't this pay cut, perhaps they may have been laid off or some of their close work friends may have been laid off and this may have had a negative impact on their mortgages or their lives in general. Um, it's also not being able to see things like the way you'd be able to see them six time, six months down the road or also not being able to see them in a way that somebody that they respect or they admire um, sees things. Um, so it's just very rigid. It's very, very kind of caught up in terms of their perspective right here in this moment in this kind of very kind of um, hooked by thoughts and emotions kind of a way and failing to be able to see it from any other perspective and at the organizational level that's very much just seeing it from the tier of kind of maybe top management and failing to see how these changes might be impacting the workers or people who might be at a different level in terms of line management does that does that fit with what you've seen so far as well yes 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 and well explained yes uh, and and then so the last two men are more so the first kind of four are, are kind of very much in line with um kind of unwanted thoughts and emotions and and that and then the last two are very much in line with the behavioral aspect so the first part there is being unclear what matters um so it's kind of like a disconnect of value so at an individual level that might be that the person has forgotten why they got into this line of work in the first place um they've forgotten what gives them joy about it or they're disconnected from what gives them joy about it that if you were to ask them look like what do you want to be about as a worker an employee within this organization they find it hard to actually come up with anything that they want to move towards because they're so caught up in terms of the unwanted internal experiences that they have that that's kind of take it, taken the show and then in line with that the, the kind of sixth piece is um, doing the things that are unimportant and not doing the things that are so important to them so then you might start seeing that like employees workers are starting to spend more time on social media while they're meant to be working and it's kind of like this piece of like it doesn't really matter anymore anyway so they are they end up doing spending a lot of time doing emails or things that aren't that important they don't do the things that kind of bring creativity or innovation so those two last two are very kind of similar and at an organizational level the organization has got disconnected from the values that they want to bring to the world that it's almost become kind of like this broken record it's become 
kind of like, oh, we say that we stand for integrity and innovation and creativity and everyone is valued here. Yet if you look at the level of the organization, that instant translating into the actions and the everyday policies and procedures and meetings that are being held within an organization. So though, so that's kind of the level that it happens at the organization. And again, with all of these, we're always looking. What I'm always trying to do is like look at, at the individual where where are they maybe inflexible and where is the organizational inflexible and really what I can do is I can either help the organization develop flexibility the individual develop flexibility with these six areas either or or both and interestingly the research shows that if you use this kind of um piece around looking at psychological inflexibility and bringing um, more flexibility into the organization at a leadership level, this often um, this often actually helps people that are kind of further down, down the line as well. It makes complete sense um, to me. Yep. Yes. And from the inflexibility piece, is it clear enough to you what the flexibility side is? Or Elise, would you like me to go through that in the few minutes that we have before the break? Would that be helpful? It would be helpful. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so when we're looking at the psychological flexibility, both at the level of individual and organization, we're looking at, and I'll just kind of briefly go through all six, and then I can give you some examples. So rather than preoccupation with the past and the future, it's around really connection to right here and right now, and the recognition recognition that at an individual and at an organizational level the only point of contact that we can ever make change is in the moment so while it's natural that, that an organization and individuals go to the past the future we really try to come back to the present moment as much as possible um, we at an organization and an individual individual level we develop skills to be able to unhook from unwanted thoughts and I'm happy to kind of give you very specific examples of these after the break. Um, we want to be able to develop skills that we're able to acknowledge um, unwanted emotions with compassion. And we start to look at this kind of like, look, if, if a good friend was going through this, I would expect them to feel this as well. So rather than emotions be something that needs to be gotten rid of or a sign of weakness, it's just a sign that we're human and that this actually probably shows that we care about the work that we're doing in the first place. So we want to develop different ways of relating to these unwanted emotions that they don't hold us back then we want to develop more flexible perspective taking so um, a key way that people can do this is to say okay if a friend that I admire was in the situation how might they respond or for organizations it might be looking at somebody that they really respect and admire from an organizational perspective maybe a biography or an autobiography that they read about somebody that they care about in the organizational world how do they imagine this person might respond to this exact um, circumstance and how can they integrate that and then to, in terms of the values and the committed action it's around really kind of sitting down and reconnecting connecting with what's important to us. We may have said this before, does this still represent who I want to be both at an individual level and an organizational level? And if we were to look at a video of the actions engaged in by both an individual and an organization, are these in line with the values that we set out for ourselves? And if they're not, how can we bring them more in line and how can we incentivize um, people throughout the organization to engage in this way? You are amazingly crisp, my dear. And you know what else I love is I love the fact that you are a self-proclaimed geek who just loves this stuff. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't oh. want to talk with somebody who's passionate about what they do, right? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I personally love it. I love talking with people. And I can tell you're just as passionate as, as I am, Elise. And when I get my podcast up and running in, in, over the next few months, I definitely want to have you back because I know that you'll be just as geeky as me. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. 
Um, all right. Already, you're just you're spot on, right? I guess you're watching the clock. It is time for our, uh, our next break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Ashling Curtin, who is a registered counseling psychologist and director of Act Now Ireland, which is the largest provider of acceptance and commitment training workshops in the country. She joins us today from Dublin, Ireland. After the break, we'll hear more about the work she does with her organizations and get into really the, the notions of innovation and creativity. Stay with us. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Welcome to Portal to Ascension Radio. Your hosts, Neil and Sol Gore, will take you on a journey to expand your consciousness. You will learn about hidden ancient wisdom, advanced technology, cosmic consciousness, our true world history, the ascension of Earth, and so much more deeply esoteric and revolutionary information. It is time to explore the nature of reality. Listen every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Ashling Curtin, who is a registered counseling psychologist and the director of Act Now Purposeful Living in Ireland. They are the largest provider of acceptance and commitment training workshops in the country. She specializes in mindfulness and acceptance and commitment training, which helps people to connect more to the present moment, those things that matter most to them and get unstuck in their lives. Ashling is also the author of Mindfulness and Acceptance for Gender and Sexual Minorities. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, Ashling, you did a beautiful job of really giving us some really specific technical context as to, as to the kind of work that you do and how it's anchored. I so, so appreciate that because I felt like there was so much that people could really get more specific and into to understand the work that you do. Mm-hmm. 
So next, if you could, one of the things that, of course, I'm a management consultant, I guess in many ways, just like you are, um, we're always asked to demonstrate ROI, return on investment. So when you work with your clients, I think it will be interesting to to talk about what are the outcomes by which your work is judged as having been successful and how do you demonstrate ROI? So one of the things that I find really interesting about the ACT approach is that we decide the ROI based on the values of the organization. So we actually use the model to kind of look at, okay, what do you want to be about in in a video camera? So essentially, when I work with an organization, I want to ask them, okay, six months from now, if our work was meaningful and useful and it led to some meaningful changes in your organization, what would that look like? Um, so for some organizations, um, it might be that they want to have more sales because they really believe in their product and they believe that if more people have access to their product, that their sales will increase. So for some clients, that's what we will do. Um, and there, there's, there's nice data to show that ACT can increase sale within organizations and I've certainly seen some of that myself um, for other um, for other groups it may be around creativity and, and innovation so what you might be measuring in terms of ROI there is new ideas that are being created um, uh, things that are being actually seen in terms of um, kind of expansion to the line of products that that the organization is developing um, if it was in terms of diversity we might be looking at our overall kind of employee well-being, mental health, kind of feelings of inclusivity within the workplace, um, how much different kind of departments are connecting in with one another. So essentially, the ROI isn't something that I come and say, look, this is going to be our ROI. What we do is we'll look at the values of the, the company. We'll look at the actions that they feel are kind of problematic at the moment and what they want to change. And that's essentially what we will work on within that context. That makes so much sense. And I just, I think that that helps our listeners understand when we work on these kinds of people level concepts, just how do we demonstrate why would somebody actually mm-hmm. pay for us to do this kind of work, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, before we went on break, you had mentioned you were going through the, the various skills that you, that you help um, leaders and organizations work with. And then you mentioned that you would share with us maybe some examples of how people unhook from thinking or emotions that don't serve them well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. That would be fascinating yeah. to hear. Absolutely. Is there any particular area that you were most curious about that you'd like me to get started on, either the contact with the present moment, the thoughts, emotions, perspective, taking the values or the committed action? Anyone that you would love to dive into first? The present moment would be interesting. Yeah. So um, it was interesting. I was doing this um, workshop where it was kind of all the main leaders in Ireland were in the same place at the same time. And I got this this bowl of raisins and I went out and I gave them all a raisin and first they were looking at me and thinking are you serious this is our lunch and learn series and you're getting up to do something with the raisin I got some like funny looks and I could see the person who you know had got who had contracted me in to do it was kind of like oh dear and then the photographer thought this was great and she was taking all these photos of all these high level executives with the raisins and we actually just did some work around just noticing your thoughts so one of the things we notice is that our mind is constantly judging evaluating and comparing so I was like so a lot of you are probably having thoughts like so what is the psychologist doing and it was interesting as I even said that many of them started laughing which gave me a pretty good indication that they were having those thoughts of like what is this all about and what we did then was we just took our time 
connecting with this raisin with our five senses, noticing what it looked like, um, noticing what it smelled like. Um, some people are, most people actually can smell more intensely through one nostril than the other, but we're often very, very unaware of this. So for a lot of these leaders, it just helped them to see how much is going on within themselves and within their organizations that they're not even noticing or paying attention to. And this kind of very simple exercise that has been taught in mindfulness traditions for a number of years just kind of help them just to kind of slow down and just notice things in the moment. How quickly do we eat a raisin or a bag of raisins without even noticing it? And how often maybe are we not seeing things in other uh, workers within our organization um, that, that may actually be very, very important? What a great example. I, I can tell you right now that anybody who's listening to this is going to probably never forget the raisin example. <laughs> right? Yes. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it does tend to kind of st- stick out in our minds. Um, so that's, that's one thing that that can happen in terms of the kind of contact with the present moment. Then in terms of thoughts, unwanted thoughts, um, I mentioned earlier on, one of my favorite examples is the, this one of, I, I notice I'm having the thought that. Uh, another thing that can be really, really helpful for leaders to get into the habit of doing is to actually write down their own certain uncensored version of what they think about events. This is not one to be sent out in a memo. It's not one to be emailed out to everybody in the organization. Yet there there is research to show this. And back to one of your your fellow Texans, Dr. Brené Brown, she talks about, uh, and I'm going to use the um, politically correct way of shoddy first drafts, but it is a different S that that she uses. But I'm I'm going to be radio friendly here. Okay, uh, thank so she you. She talks about shoddy first drafts, and the idea about the shoddy first drafts is that you actually write down all. All the different thoughts that you're getting caught up with the the commentary that's that's arising for you so for example if a leader's thinking like these people are being totally unreasonable it's actually helpful to write that down and to notice it and then to actually go through it and and another um part that we can add on to that from an act perspective is to look back at what you at, at this kind of uncensored kind of ream of consciousness is and to actually just put a line through anything that's an opinion and just leave the facts because often the things that we're getting really, really caught up with are our opinion on something rather than the facts of the situation. And just to kind of realize that we all have unwanted thoughts and we all have unwanted commentary and to kind of recognize that just because we have these thoughts, they don't need to push us around or tell us what to do or not to do within an organizational um, setting. Mm. So a lot of it is just noticing our thoughts so that they don't push us around. I, I really understand what you're saying, Ashley, because so much of the work that we do, too, with regarding transformation, et cetera, also does involve unhooking from those kinds of thoughts and really separating fact from story. So I, I think I understand pretty well what you're talking about. And it's just so important to be able to do that with organizations and with individuals. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. It's beautiful. Definitely, definitely. And then in terms of the emotions, I don't know, have you ever done any work, Elise, with a Chinese finger trap? no. Okay, so people in organizations love this. I'd really recommend it. So I don't know if you know anything about Chinese finger traps. So you put your finger in both sides of the Chinese finger trap. And what happens is the more you try to get out of the finger trap, the Chinese finger trap just gets really tight in around you and it actually brings you into it further. And the whole idea is that it can be like that with emotions as well. Sometimes the further away we try to get away from emotions, so let's say there's a big change, as we said in organizations, which we've both encountered a lot, there's often a lot of anxiety and panic and fear that surrounds that. And sometimes an organization tries really hard 
to like so that nobody feels panic or fear or what have you and let's not have these conversations and actually that just that the level of that anxiety fear panic just seems to explode and get bigger and bigger and bigger so the whole idea is then with the Chinese finger traps if you want to get out you actually kind of need to go into them a little further make contact with them and then you can come out of them afterwards and a very similar kind of idea um, but you can't bring a quicksand into into an organization is the idea with quicksand so like the most natural thing we do in quicksand is try to struggle yet the more we try to struggle the further down into the quicksand that we go the further into the emotions that sometimes when we actually make contact with these unwanted emotions that's actually when our organization can grow and that's when we can have those conversations that we need to have so that everybody's able to work effectively again Mm. I love this stuff. You're right. We're both geeks. What can we say? Yes, we're both <laughs> geeks. Uh, so that, those are some examples for the first three processes. And I think I mentioned before for the flexible perspective taking, it can just be really incredibly helpful to think about somebody that you admire. So somebody who I greatly admire is, is Tara Brack. She's a clinical psychologist who also does a lot of work in Buddhist psychology. And she tends to have a very compassionate perspective on things. So I notice whenever I get caught up in something, because I'm a psychologist and I'm an entrepreneur and I own a business and work with people as well and sometimes when I get really caught up I just kind of say what would Tara do you know and and I don't know who your version of of, of Tara is but a lot of people you know they've, they've read something about an entrepreneur or you know a CEO who they really really kind of trust their judgment and to even just ask that question what would such and such a person do can actually just help just to kind of um, unblinker ourselves for a moment so that we're able to kind of see things more clearly in our organization. I love that unblinker ourselves phrase that you use. I've never heard it before, but I totally know what you mean. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, and in ACT and in the work I do, I try to make things as visual as possible because we tend to remember visual pieces a lot more than, you know, you know, they say in terms of selling, you know, facts tell, um, uh, sorry, stories sell. And I think it's the same in terms of psychological principles. If we want to remember them, we need to make them as vivid as possible so that they kind of stay stay in our mind. Mm-hmm. And in line with that, when we look at very tangible things that people can do within an organization with values, there are there are really nice values cards that 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 you can work with that have like a a series of different values and have a picture to represent them. And the idea is that you kind of go through these values and you kind of say, okay, which are very important to me, which are kind of important to me and what are not at all important to me. And I have noticed some uh, gender variability um, in this. So what I've noticed um, in terms of works that I work that I do in terms of executive coaching, um, that it seems like a lot of men can put loads of things into the not important at all pile, and not always, but often women can kind of find it harder to. Re- to relegate things into that not at all important uh, pile. And it's not that either is better or worse than one another. It's just something that I've, I've, I've kind of noticed in my work. Um, so there, it, it can be useful to kind of go to these these values cards and to really look at okay what do I want to be about personally within this organization and what do, what do we want to be moving towards within the organization as a whole and then to and then in line with that in terms of the actions it's around looking at okay if I was to watch a video of our organization of me and of me within this organization over the last week how much of my actions would be bringing me towards these values that I've set out that are really important to me and how many of these would be bringing me further away and even just to bring in that metric 
metric in terms of if we're talking about ROI on a very much on a daily basis. What are the values that we want to be embodying so that these aren't just something that's on a mission statement that's getting dusty? How is this very tangibly seen throughout our life? And I, I love the way that you can't see me, Elise, and I'm like using my hands all the time as if we were talking to one another. <laughs> I can see your hands moving just perfectly because I'm doing the same thing on this side of, 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 the, of the pond, as you say. Um, yes. Well, we're already coming so close to the end of the show here, and I want to I want to give you a chance to maybe in a minute and a half or so just leave our listeners with anything that you think is important from your vantage point, the work that you do, or in terms of encouragement or support. In other words, give you the last word. Oh, Alice, first, it's just been such a pleasure. I could really talk to you all day. And hopefully the next time I'm in Texas, maybe we'll get a chance to meet up in person because I'm actually working on a fiction book project with a dear friend of mine who's a professor in Baylor in journalism. Um, so I come to Texas quite a lot. So I hope we get to meet each other in person. Now for your listeners, I hope I get to meet some of them also. Um, I suppose really... This, this metric of just really taking that moment to connect to what is really, really important to me, both as an individual in general and as an individual within my organization and if in a leadership um, perspective, the organization as a whole, um, what are these things? And to really kind of come back to that metric of the video camera, am I seeing that in terms of daily actions? And to kind of the idea of the raise and am I within this present moment? Um, and am I aware of my thoughts and emotions? And would I be willing to uh, engage in kind of some exercises just to kind of see them a little bit more clearly so that I'm not fighting against them? Um, and if anybody if they'd like to get in contact with me they're more than welcome to do so through my website actnowpl.com um, I, I do um, free 20 minute consults with organizations who are thinking about potentially bringing this into their organization and I'd be very happy to hear from people uh, in that way it, it's always uh, exciting for me to work with people who are in a different context to me be that in, in America or throughout Europe or Australia I haven't done that much work with Africa or Asia or South America thus far um, so if anybody wants to reach out to me I'd be very happy to, to to talk to them also and I think just that this is a this is a daily this is a daily practice and it really comes back to accepting what's outside of our control and having the courage to change the things that we can and looking at small ways that we can implement that on a day-by-day basis beautiful way to finish Ashling and let me first say yes I would love to see you when you come to Dallas and Texas and secondly since this show is literally listened to across the globe maybe there's a chance that you will you will actually get to meet some new people that have come to know you because of the show so I hope that's the case thank you so much for joining me from t- for taking the time and just really contributing your heart and soul to this conversation it was just beautiful to have you thank you Elise the feeling is very much mutual and as Ashling said, you can certainly go visit her website, which is actnowplforpurposefulliving.com to be able to learn more about her and find ways to contact her. She'd love to hear from you. And since this show is really all about the world of work, remember that work is at least one third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 